Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will teach us from Genesis chapter 25, how Abraham died peacefully, but his son Ishmael died suddenly, with more work to do and no real plans for God or heaven in his future. Now we'll get to our Bible study here with Tom Cantor on Friendship with God in just a moment. We'd like to thank you for your support of Israel Restoration Ministries and our Summer Blitz Outreach to 14 U.S. and Canadian cities with the gospel and 110 missionaries that are taking the gospel to the Jewish people. Now we would like to encourage you to support this campaign that's going on through the beginning of August. And you can do so by supporting us online at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or donating online at israelrestoration.org, israelrestoration.org. Now, if you personally have a Jewish friend that you'd like to reach with some resources from Tom Cantor, we'll send that to your Jewish friend for free. Just fill out the online form at friendshipwithgod.org, or you can call us directly. Again, the gift is free. If you have a Jewish friend, we'll send that to them for free. 800-247-3051. 800-247-3051. You can also donate to help us send more gifts out to lost Jewish people at 800-247-3051. Again, 800-247-3051. Pray for our Summer Blitz Jewish Evangelism campaign and call us if you've got a Jewish friend you want to reach. Now here's Tom Cantor, our Bible teacher on Friendship with God. Father, thank you so much for your word this morning, Lord. Help us, Lord. We can't understand your word unless by the Spirit of God you work and reveal to us. So do that this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Genesis 25, verse 16. These are the sons of Ishmael. These are their names by their towns, by their castles, 12 princes according to their nations. And these are the years of the life of Ishmael, 130 and 7 years. And he gave up the ghost and died and was gathered unto his people. And they dwelt from Havilah to Shur, that's before Egypt, as thou goest toward Assyria. And he died in the presence of all his brethren. And these are the generations of Isaac. Abraham begat Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah to wife, the daughter of Bethuel, the Syrian of Padanaram, a sister of Laban the Syrian. And Isaac entreated the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord was entreated of him, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. Now, in our last study, you remember that we contrasted the record that we have here of the death of Abraham with the record that we have of the death of Ishmael. And we looked at, in particular, at verses 7 through 8 of the same chapter. You might take a look. It says, These are the days of the years of the Abraham's life which he lived, a hundred and threescore and fifteen years. And Abraham gave up the ghost and died in a good old age, uh, an old man and full of years is not really there, and was gathered to his people. And these are the years of the life of Ishmael, as it goes on and contrast that, and you go down now to verse 17, where it says, these are the years of the life of Ishmael, a hundred and thirty and seven years. He gave up the ghost and died, and was gathered unto his people. So the key verse, we want to look back now, we think about the life of Abraham. The key verse on the life of Abraham was way back in Genesis 15, 6, where it says, and he believed in the Lord, and he counted it to him for righteousness. That verse tells us that God made Abraham righteous. And so when we looked at the death of Abraham, we saw in this chapter here a wonderful death, 
of a man that God made righteous, and that's a beautiful sight. That was a good thing to see. And so when the lost look at the death of Abraham, a man who was made righteous, they envy Abraham. They say, I wish I could be like him. And the person who verbalized that envy was Balaam. When he looked over the Jewish people and he spoke, he spoke about those whom God had made righteous. And he said, In Numbers 23.10, who can count the dust of Jacob and the number of the fourth part of Israel? Let me die the death of the righteous. Let my last end be like his. So those are the words of Balaam. And as he looks on these people who he saw, these people clearly, they didn't have any righteousness of their own. Boy, was that not obvious. And Abraham, he didn't have any righteousness of his own. But Abraham, it says in Genesis 15, he amened, amened, or as we say, amen. He amened himself, or he believed himself into Jehovah Jesus. That's what Abraham did. He believed himself into Jehovah Jesus. And then what happened is that Jehovah Jesus weaved, or hashabed, he hashabed, or weaved into Abraham's life his righteousness. As we saw that in Genesis 15, 6, he believed in the Lord and he counted it for righteousness. He emined into the Lord and he hashabed or wove into him righteousness. So Abraham believed into Jehovah Jesus. And though Abraham was dead here in Genesis 25, yet he lives, as it says in John eleven twenty five, where it says, Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. When he said those words, he said, he that believeth in me. The Greek for the word in is the word ice, which means into. So the verse really is saying, he that believeth into me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. So that's the same Greek word ice that's used in John 3.16, where God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever ice, whosoever believeth into him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's what Abraham did. Abraham emined or believed himself into Jehovah Jesus, and then Jehovah Jesus accounted or hashabed or wove into Abraham this righteousness. And that was the righteousness that Balaam saw. And that was the righteousness that Balaam was speaking about when he looked in the Jewish people in the valley, and he knew they didn't have any inherent righteousness themselves. But he saw that God had hashab. He wove his righteousness into them, and he envied them. And he wished that he had God's hashab woven righteousness in his life. Because Balaam, he trembled at the thought of dying without God's hashab or woven righteousness into him. And so when Balaam looks at the Jewish people, he says in Numbers 23.10, let me die the death of the righteous. Let my last end be like his. And when we see the, the death of Abraham in verses 7 and 8, we say, we see a man who's dying with the hashab, the woven righteousness of God in him. It's woven into Abraham because Abraham was in Jehovah Jesus, and Jehovah Jesus was in Abraham, which is exactly what, the, what Jehovah Jesus said in John 14, 20, when he said, at that day you shall know that I am in the Father, and ye in me, and I in you. And he said that also in John six fifty six. He said, he that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me, and I in him. He went on and say in John 15, 4, abide in me, and I in you. 
And Balaam knew the catastrophe that awaited him after death because he knew he wasn't in Jehovah Jesus. He knew that Jehovah Jesus wasn't in him. And he trembled at the thought of dying without being in Jehovah Jesus and without Jehovah Jesus being in him because as Jehovah Jesus went on to say in the following verses in John 15, 5 through 6, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. Without me you can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered, and men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. See, Balaam knew that because he was not in Jehovah Jesus and Jehovah Jesus was not in him, that when he died, he was heading right for being gathered together and cast into a lake of fire and be in a state of painful burning for all eternity. And Balaam knew that. And he knew that to be in Jehovah Jesus was to face no condemnation. Like Paul said in Romans 8, 1, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Walk not after the flesh, after the spirit. See, Balaam knew there's only one way to get to heaven. There's only one way to have hope of seeing the glory of heaven. And that's what Paul said in Colossians 1.27. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And Balaam knew that because he was not in Jehovah Jesus, Jehovah Jesus was not in him, that when he died, he would die in his sins, as the Lord Jesus said in John 8.24. I said therefore unto you that you shall die in your sins, for if you believe not that I am, he is in italics, he's not there, if you believe not that I am the I am, you'll die in your sins. And since this is a vitally important point, it's good for each one of us right now today, right now, is to do what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 13, 15. Examine yourselves, whether ye be in the faith. Prove your own selves, Know, know ye not your own selves, how that Jesus Christ is in you, except you be reprobates. See, at this point, it's vitally important. Each of us should ask ourselves that all-important question. Am I absolutely sure this morning that I am in Christ and Christ is in me? See, in that verse, in 2 Corinthians 13, 5, we're told to examine ourselves. Have a look. Look in the mirror. Take a look. Know whether or not we are in the faith or not. Know whether or not we are in Christ and Christ is in us. Yeah, that's a vital question. A vital question this morning is not whether or not I'm in church today, right now. The vital question is not whether or not I'm in church every Sunday. The vital question is not whether or not I was born or I'm part of a Christian family. The vital question is not whether or not I know the Bible or believe the Bible. The vital question is, am I in Christ and Christ is in me? And if your honest answer this morning is, I hope so, but I'm not sure, time to do something about it. Right now, today, it's time to deal with that issue. It's time to give up the resistance, throw open the door of your heart in unconditional surrender to Jesus, who's standing outside the door and knocking. And when we saw Abraham die in verses 7 through 8, it was a beautiful sight because we saw that without any struggle, it says he gave up the ghost. As the hymn says, Oh, love that will not let me go, and it goes on to say, I give thee back the life I owe, that in thine ocean depths its flow may richer, fuller be. See, when it says that Abraham gave up the ghost, in the spirit of this hymn, we can see that Abraham gave up the ghost to say to God, here, God, is my life on earth that I owe you. 
Now, from your ocean depths of love, I look forward to my richer, fuller life in heaven with you. From verses 7 through 8, Abraham's tombstone. We could say, okay, what are we going to put on Abraham's tombstone? We could put on Abraham's tombstone, first of all, theme, Abraham with God. And then we'd write underneath it, we'd say, Abraham with God. Here lies the body of Abraham, a man who believed himself into God and with God had God's righteousness woven into him. He lived great, momentous days with God. He died satisfied with God. He's now gathered to his people with God. That's Abraham. We'll return with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. As you know, Tom Cantor is a born-again Jewish believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, and he has a heart for reaching lost Jewish people like he was once with the gospel. Now, we have free Jewish gifts that we give to your Jewish friends that are lost, and we want to send them directly to them. We just need their name and address, and we will mail that out. You can do it with our online form located at friendshipwithgod.com. Friendshipwithgod.org, or calling us with your support or your lost Jewish friends contact at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. It's a free gift to them, but you can also support Jewish evangelism and this Bible teaching radio program so we can stay on the air on this station in your city. If you enjoy this teaching on Friendship with God, support us by calling 800-247-3051. Now, by contrast, we see Ishmael's death in verses 17 through 18. And we know that Ishmael has no great momentous days with God. And so therefore it doesn't say these are the days of the life of uh, Ishmael. It says that about Abraham, not about Ishmael. But Ishmael just said, here's his years. Just a blur. Just a blur of years. And although in verse 17 it says he died, moot in Hebrew, just like with Abraham. But there's another description for the death of Ishmael, which is the following verse in verse 18. And there the Hebrew word death or mut does not appear as it does in verse 17. See, in verse 18, even though it's translated the word death, it's not the word death. It's not the Hebrew word mut for death. Instead, in verse 18, it's the Hebrew word nephal, which means to fall. So when Ishmael died in verse 18, he's described as someone as having fallen in the front of his brethren. Now, what does it mean when it says, in contrast to Abraham, that Ishmael fell when he died? Unlike Abraham, Ishmael had made this earth his home. This was his home. This was his place. He looked at this earth and he said, home sweet home. And so when Ishmael died, he was like his sons, like the father, like son. He's building towns. He's building castles. Names are named after themselves and so forth like that. But when Ishmael died, he was shocked. He was surprised. He fell. He nephaled. He fell from his work on earth. See, when it says in verse 18 that Ishmael fell in the presence of all his brethren, it means that Ishmael had, he had a lot more work to do on earth. He wasn't ready to die. He didn't want to die. See, when Ishmael, he had no real expectation of work to do in heaven after death. He didn't live his life on earth with God, so he really did not look forward to death and to heaven to be with God and work. When it says in verse 18 that Ishmael fell in the presence of all of his brethren, it means that Ishmael fell from his hopes on earth. He had a hope to accomplish a lot more in his lifetime. He wasn't ready to die. He didn't want to die. He had no real hope for heaven after death. He didn't live his life on earth with God. So he really did not have any real hope 
to go from death to heaven to be with God. See, when it says in verse 18 that Ishmael fell in the presence of his brethren, it means Ishmael fell from his plans on earth. See, when Ishmael died, he had a lot more plans where he wanted to do on earth. And when he died, he fell from those plans. He wasn't ready to die. He didn't want to die. He had no real plans for heaven after he died. He didn't live his life on earth with God. So he really didn't look forward to go from death to heaven to be with God. When it says in verse 17 that Ishmael gave up the ghost, he didn't do that willingly. He gave it up because he had to give it up. Because Ishmael was standing and he was going forward on earth and then he fell into death. See, that's Ishmael. That brings us now to verse 19 when it says, these are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Isaac, Abraham begat Isaac. See, with this verse comes that word that's captured our attention in the book of Genesis, that Hebrew word teledoth. Teledoth is translated as generations. It's kind of a mysterious word. It's hard because it first appears in uh, Genesis 2, 4. It's not talking about people at all. It says, these are the teledoth of the heavens and the earth when they were created and the day that God made the heavens and the earth and the heavens. It's not easy to translate. Some translations translate it teledoth as generation, some history, some descent. The Greek, when the Greek, when the Old Testament was translated into Greek in the Septuagint, which is what the version that's quoted in the New Testament, it uses the word births for teledoth. As a matter of fact, the Septuagint uses that same word births as a title for the book of Genesis. And so do we, really. When we translate the word generations, it has the same root meaning as Genesis. But in the base meaning of teledoth means to bring forth or to deliver. So from verse 19, we're looking forward. We're going to understand what's going to be brought forth by the family of Isaac. And the rest of this chapter is going to be a breaking down of this. In fact, we can look at it this way. Verse 21, we understand Rebekah's infertility and Isaac's intercession. In verse 22, we understand Rebekah's condition of her pregnancy and God's revelation for the reason for her condition in her pregnancy. In verses 23 to 34, we see the two natures of Jacob and Esau and their conflict together. And we come to verse 20, where it says, Isaac took Rebekah to wife. If there was nothing else said about Isaac's marriage to Rebekah, this would be enough. He had a wonderful marriage. Those five words in verse 20 tells us why Isaac and Rebekah had a wonderful marriage. Because he took Rebekah to wife. It tells us about Isaac, and it tells us what makes for a wonderful marriage. So when it says he took Rebekah to wife, it means that Isaac, Isaac took Rebekah out of the sea of women. I don't know if there was such a big sea of women there, but anyway. And he says, now I will carry you. I will carry and set this lady on the only seat of my heart that's labeled my wife. And he took Rebecca to wife. And it means that there will never be another person sitting on the only seat in my heart labeled wife. And he, you could say to him, well, what do you see when you see Rebecca? When I look at Rebecca, I see the only woman in the world when I took Rebecca to wife. He would say, I will have a special love. It's only for Rebecca because I took Rebecca to wife. I won't look, I won't covet any other woman because I took Rebecca to wife. See, when Isaac took Rebecca to wife, Isaac took possession of Rebecca, and he vowed that her love was all he needed to satisfy him, as it says in Proverbs 5.15, drink waters out of thine own cistern, running waters out of thine own well. goes on. 
Proverbs 5, 18 through 20. Let thy fountain be blessed and rejoice with the wife of thy youth. Let her be as a loving hind and pleasant roe. Let her breast satisfy thee at all times. Be thou ravished always with her love. Why wilt thou, my son, be ravished with a strange woman and embrace the bosom of a stranger? See, when it says in verse 20, he took Rebekah to wife, it means Isaac made a decision for life that he was going to be a one-woman man. And that woman was Rebekah. And so Isaac took Rebekah to wife. Isaac took Rebekah, and she became his wife. And he loved her, as it says in the last verse in, in the previous chapter 24. And Isaac brought her into his mother Sarah's tent and took Rebekah. She became his wife, and he loved her. And Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. That love was not automatic. When it says he loved her, that was not a feeling that Isaac had. That was a choice that Isaac made. Isaac decided to love Rebekah. Isaac decided to love Rebekah every day, regardless of how Isaac felt every day. That's the only place in the Bible where it says that a particular man loved his wife, except for a bondservant in Exodus 21.5, when the bondservant was told, okay, you can go now, and he's got a wife, and he says in Exodus 21.5, if the servant shall plainly say, I love my master, my wife, and my children, I will not go out free. But when it says that Isaac loved his wife, Rebekah, it's the only place in the Bible where it names a particular person who loved his wife. What does it mean when it says Isaac loved his wife, Rebekah? What does it mean for a man to love his wife? Love, it's more than just an affectionate passion. It's more than, love is more than just staying married through thick and thin. Love is more than just flowers and chocolates. Love is more than just saying, I love you. And what we're going to see in the case of Isaac, when he loved Rebekah, that was a big package. She brought a lot of baggage. <laughs> Isaac loved Rebekah. It means he accepted Rebekah for who she was with all her baggage. And his love for Rebekah meant that he would never think of ever trying to exchange her or change her. See, love is accepting the other person for who that person is, and love is vowing to never try to change the person. Love is when a man accepts his wife for who she is and loves her and never tries to change her. Most married men have already come to the conclusion that they won't try to change their wife because they know they can't. <laughs> but love is when a man vows to never complain about his wife because he accepts her for who she is. And we will not read of any conflict between Isaac and Rebecca because Isaac's trying to change Rebecca. And that's what it means in Ephesians 5.18. So men ought to always, men ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his body loves himself. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular, in other words, each one of you, so love his wife even as himself. The wife see that she reverence her husband. Love her with her baggage. Everyone has baggage. You have baggage. I have baggage. Now, having said that, let's consider what baggage did Rebecca have? What baggage did Rebecca bring into the marriage? Well, Scripture is pretty good at helping us to paint a picture of who Rebecca was. And I want to read a verse that describes Rebecca, and you tell me what kind of person she was. And keep in mind, this is Rebecca, and these are character traits of Rebecca. And some might call them good character traits, and some might call them baggage. Some men might be attracted to these character traits and say, perfect. And some men might run for the hills and say, no way, I want to be married to a person like that. The point is that this was Rebecca. She may have had a pretty face, which she did. But when Rebecca arrived at the train station and they unpacked the baggage with her and said, this baggage goes along with her. So 
All right, so you might want to feel free to look at these verses we turn to. Okay, Genesis, we're on the same chapter. Genesis 24, uh, chapter before, sorry. Genesis 24, 18 through 19. And she said, drink. I'm going to emphasize some words to help you along here because I'm going to ask you what characteristic. And she hasted and let down her pitcher upon her hand, gave him drink. And when she had done giving drink, she said, I will draw water for thy camels also until they have done drinking. What characteristic is that? Yeah, hospitable. She hasted. This lady had energy. <laughs> she was energetic. And verse 28, look at verse 28. And the damsel ran and told them of her mother's house. She's running and running and running. Color her running. And Rebecca, she wears you out by watching her. She runs. She has this boundless energy. Another great day of teaching here on our Monday with Tom Cantor, our Bible teacher here on Friendship with God. As we mentioned at the beginning of the program, we need your prayers for our continued outreach to the Jewish people this summer, the summer blitz that's going on in 14 U.S. and Canadian cities with the gospel going to the Jewish people through 110 missionaries at Israel Restoration Ministries. Many of you are supporting this outreach to the Jewish people and the gospel going to the Jew first. We'd like to continue to encourage you to support this outreach where the gospel goes out with free gospel gifts to Jewish people and Jewish communities where they can be reached and be saved, just like our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, who's a Jewish born-again believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, to donate and support Jewish evangelism and missionaries taking the gospel out door-to-door, street-to-street, and person-to-person. You can donate online at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, and also at israelrestoration.org israelrestoration.org. You can also find some of Tom Cantor's materials, many of them that are being put out for free through our Jewish evangelism campaign to lost Jewish people, but you can get your copy, which will support Jewish evangelism, at friendshipwithgod.org. Just click on resources, friendshipwithgod.org. Click on resources. Some are there for free. Some are there for purchase. Just click on resources and Tom Cantor's materials and go to our bookstore online. Also, donate online and support Friendship with God, staying on this station in your city. We need your help and support. Friendshipwithgod.org or call us directly, 800-247-3051. 800-247-3051. Again, 800-247-3051.